Chapter Thirteen of Gone to Earth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Gone to Earth by Mary Webb. Chapter Thirteen. Next morning, Mrs. Marston came in from the kitchen with the toast, which she could not trust anyone but herself to make, with a face portending great happenings. "'Mind you see that they are all properly placed, Edward. They should be all together in one part of the room.' "'Who'd that be?' Hazel inquired. "'1906 plums, 1908 gooseberries, 1909 cherries sugarless. The sugared ones are older.' Mrs. Marston spoke so personally that Hazel stared. "'It's mother's exhibits, Hazel,' explained Edward. "'Yes, they've been to shows year by year, and very well they've stood it. I only hope the constant travelling won't set up fermentation. I should like these morellas to outlive me. A receipt I had of Jane Thorne, and she died of dropsy-pawthing and bottled to the end.' "'Dunna you ever eat them?' asked Hazel. This was blasphemy, to eat 1909 morellas. It was passed over in tense silence, allowances being made for a prospective bride. Poor thing, she's upset. The exhibits, packed in a great bed of the vivid star moss that grew in the secret recesses of the woods, were waiting on the front step in their usual box. There were some wonderful new jellies that made Hazel long to be Mrs. Marston and have control of the storeroom. This was a dim place where ivy leaves scraped the cobwebby window, and tall green canisters stood on shelves in company with glass jars neatly labelled and barrels of homemade wine, where hams hung from the ceiling and herbs in bunches and on trays sent out a pungent sweetness. In there, the magic was now heightened by the presence, dignified even in disabilé, of a wedding cake, which was being slowly but thoroughly iced. People often wondered how Mrs. Marston did it. No one ever saw her hurried or busy, yet the proofs of her industry were here. She worked like the coral insect, in the dark, as it were, of instinct, unlit by intellect, and like the coral insect, she raised a monumental structure that hemmed her in. They had to start early, driven by Edward's one substantial parishioner, who was principal judge, chief exhibitor, and organiser of the show. The exhibits must be there by ten, but Edward did not care in the least how many hours he spent there. The day was only darkened for him by one thing. When the trap came round and Hazel climbed in joyously, Edward forgot the exhibits. He would have gone off without them had not Martha come flying down the path shouting, Mr. Edward, Mr. Edward, nineteen six, nineteen nine, jam! What's for Martha cursing? asked Hazel. Edward, looking round, saw his mother's face in the doorway, dismayed, surprised, wounded. He jumped out and ran up the path. Oh, mother, how could I? he said miserably. Mrs. Marston looked up, her mouth that had fallen in a little, trembling pitifully, and her eyes smarting with the thick, painful tears of age. It wasn't you, my dear, she said. You never forget. It was the young woman. One's God must at all hazards go clear of blame. Edward kissed her, but with reserve, and when he got into the trap, he put an arm protectingly around Hazel. 
"'What a fool I am!' he thought. "'Now everything's spoilt.' In the silent storeroom, hour by hour, Mrs. Marston propelled the mixture of sugar and egg through her icing syringe, building complex designs of frosty whiteness. Her back ached, and it seemed a long way round the cake, but she went on until Martha, with a note of sympathetic understanding in her voice, announced, "'Your dinner's in, Mum, and a cup of tea along of it.' Mrs. Marston sighed gratefully. "'How nice and pleasant,' she said but not as nice and pleasant as it was before. Not by a long mile, said Martha heartily, for Hazel had taken the eye of all the eligibles at the concert and was altogether disturbing. Perhaps, Martha, said Mrs. Marston wistfully, when she's been here a long while and we're used to her and she's part of the house, perhaps it, it'll be as nice and pleasant as before. When the yeast's in, said Martha pessimistically, the dough's leavened. As Edward and Hazel drew near the showground, they passed people walking and were overtaken by traps. A man passed at full gallop, and Hazel was reminded of Reddin. Later, she said, How'd you like it, Edward, if somebody was after you, like a weasel after a rabbit, or a terrier at a foxer? What'd you do? What morbid things you think of, dear? "'What'd you do?' "'I don't know. "'There's naught to do.' "'Edward remembered his creed. "'I should pray, Hazel. "'What good did that do?' "'God answers prayers. "'That he dunna, a where'd the fox-hunting gents be, "'and who'd have rabbit pie? "'I dunna see as he can answer em. "'Little girls mustn't bother their pretty heads.' If you'd found as many creatures in traps as me, and loosened them, and seed their broken legs and eyes as if they'd see ghosts, and once a dog caught by the tongue, ah, you'd bother, you would that, and feather killing the pigs, Good Fridays. Why Good Fridays of all days? That was the day. Ah, every Good Friday I used to fight, father. My dear child... "'You would, if you'd seed the pig that comfortable and contented, "'and knowed what it'd look like in a minute. "'I'd a killed feyther if I could.' "'But why, surely, it was worse of you to want to kill your father "'than of him to want to kill the pig?' "'I dunno, but I couldn't abear it. "'I bit him awful one time, and he hit me on the head with a rake, "'and I went to sleep.' "'Edward's forehead was damp with sweat.' Merciful God, he thought, that such things should be. And when I've heard things screaming and crying to be loosed, and them in traps, and never a one coming to em but me, it's come over me to wonder who'd loose me out if I was in a trap. God would. I dunna think so. He ne'er lets the others out. Edward was silent. The radiant day had gone dark, and he groped in it. What for dunna he, my soul? What for dunna he give em mouth so they can holler and not listen at em? I listen when Foxy shouts out. At this moment, Edward saw Abel approaching, swaggering along with the harp. He had never been glad to see him so far. Now he was almost affectionate. Laws, Edward, said Abel, straining the affection to a breaking point. You'm having a randy and no mistake, dancing and all, I suppose. No, I shall go before the dancing. 
"'You won't get our easel to go along of you, then. "'Dance her, Will, like a leaf in the fall. "'You'd rather come home with me on your wedding eve, Hazel, wouldn't you?' "'Abel, seeing Hazel's dismayed face, laughed loudly. "'Edward hated him as only sensitive temperaments can, "'and was conscience-stricken when he realised the fact. "'Well, Hazel?' he asked gently, and created a situation. "'I dunno.' said hazel awkwardly a depressed silence fell between them both were so bitterly disappointed abel like an ancient mischievous gnome went off calling to hazel clear your throat again the judgin's over the judges were locked into the barn where the exhibits were they took a long while over the judging presumably because they tasted everything even to the turnips mrs james was partial to early turnips Edward and Hazel passed a window and looked in. "'Look at em longin' after the old lady's jam,' said Hazel. "'It's a mercy the covers are well stuck on, or they'd be in like wasps. "'Look at Mr. Froddy with the eggs. "'Dear now, he's suckin' one like a lad at a throstle's nest. "'Oh, father'd ought to be there. He'd ne'er eat a cooked egg. "'Allus raw. "'Oh, Mr. James has unscrewed a bottle of father's honey and dip. "'Look at him, suckin' his fingers.' "'Do people buy the remnants?' asked Edward, amused and disgusted. "'Ah, what for not?' "'The judges are now making a hearty meal off some cheeses. "'I wonder whose cheeses they are,' Edward mused. "'They were, in fact, Vesins. "'He always insisted on making cheeses for some obscure reason. "'Possibly it was the pride of the old-fashioned servant "'in being worth more than his wages. "'Vesins certainly was.' He made stacks of cheeses and took them to fairs and shows without the slightest encouragement from his master, who, when Vesins returned, red with conflict, and said, plonking down the money, with intense pride, "'Here it is. I had to labour for threepences, though,' would merely nod uninterestedly. But still, the Undern cheeses went to shows labelled, "'John Redden, Esquire, per A. Vesins.' At last the judges came out. The mere judging did not take long, for Mr. James usually considered his exhibit the best, and said so. The others, being only smallholders, were generally too polite to gainsay him. Edward and Hazel went into the barn where the exhibits were set out with stern simplicity, looking brave and beautiful with their earthly glamour. There were rolls of golden butter, nut-brown eggs, snowy bouquets of broccoli, daffodils with the sun striking through their airy petals, masses of dark wallflower where a stray bee revelled. There was Abel's honey, with a large placard drawn by himself, proclaiming in drunken capitals, Abel Woodus, Bee Man, Coffins, Honey, Wreaths open to engagements to play the harp at weddings wakes and club days the golden jars shone the sections in their lace-edge boxes whitely sealed were as provocative as the reserve of a fair woman edward bought one for hazel to open on your wedding day he said but the symbolism so apparent to him was lost on hazel between the judging and the tea-hour was a dull time the races had not begun, and though an ancient of benign aspect announced continually, I'll take two to one, no one responded. The people stood about, taking their pleasure like an anaesthetic and looking like drugged bees. 
Now and then an old man from a far hillside would meet another old man from a farther one, and there would be handshaking lasting perhaps a quarter of an hour. When Abel played, they remained stoical and silent, however madly or mournfully the harp cried. They took good music as their right. Then Hazel sang, gazing up at the purple ramparts of the hills that hung above the showground, and Edward's eyes were full of tears. A very old man, smooth-faced and wondering as a baby, came, leaning on his stick, and stood before Hazel, gazing into her mouth with the steadfast curiosity of a dog at a gramophone. If she moved, he moved, absorbed, his jaw dropped with interest. Hazel did not notice him. She was free on the migratory wings of music. She did not see Vesens looking across the crowd with dismay, nor know that he edged away, muttering, That gell again! Never will I! Edward was glad when the singing and collection were over, and he could take Hazel into the shilling tent, where sat the elite, and give her tea. People remained in a sessile state over tea for a long time, while the chief race of the afternoon was begun by the ringing of a dinner-bell. The race took so long, the riders having to go round the course so many times, that people went on complacently with their tea, only looking out occasionally to see how things progressed, watching the riders go by, one with bright red braces, one in a blue cotton coat, two middle-aged men in their best bowlers, and one obviously too well mounted for the rest, in correct riding dress. They came round each time in the same order, the correct one, red braces, blue coat, and the bowlers last. Evidently the foremost one knew he'd easily won, and the others had decided that it was to be. In the machine-like regularity of their advent, their unaltered positions and leisured pace, they were like hobby-horses. "'How many times have they been round?' Hazel asked the waitress, who poured tea and made conversation in a sociable manner. It'll be the seventh. They might as well give over. They're only labouring to stay in the same place. I want to see em come in, said Hazel. They went out, but Abel waylaid them and took Edward off to show him a queen bee in a box from Italy. Edward loathed bees in or out of boxes, but he was too kind-hearted to refuse. Abel was so unperceptive that he touched pathos. Hazel found a place some distance down the course where she could look along the straight to the winning post. She loved to hear them thunder past. She leaned over the rail and watched them come, still fatalistic but gallant, bent on a dramatic finish, stooping and cutting their horses. The first man was on her side of the course. She stared at him in amazed consternation as he came towards her. His strong blue eyes, caught by the fixity of her glance or by her bright hair, saw her and became triumphant. He pulled the horse in sharply, and within a few yards of the winning post wheeled and went back, amid the jeers and howls of the crowd who thought he must be drunk. "'You've given me a long enough chase,' he said, leaning towards her. "'Where the devil do you live?' "'Oh, dunna stop! He's coming!' "'Who?' "'Mr. Marston, the minister!' What do I care if he's a dozen ministers? But he'll be angered. I'll make his nose bleed if he's got such cheek. Oh, he's coming, Mr. Redden. I'm in go. She turned away. Redden followed. Why should he be angry? Because we're going to be wed tomorrow. Redden whistled. And Fox 
Foxy's coming, and all of 'em. And there's a clock as tick tock's ever so sleepy, and a sleepy old lady. And Edward's brought me a box full of clothes. I gave you a box full too, he said, with a note of pleading. You little runaway. Hazel was annoyed because he disturbed her so. She wanted to get rid of him, and she desired to exercise her power, so she looked up and said impishly, "'Yours were Alden's. His be new, new as morning.' He was too angry to swear. "'You've got to come and talk to me while they're dancing tonight,' he said. "'I wanna. You must. If you don't, I'll tell the parson you stopped the night at Undern. Surely you know that he wouldn't marry you then.' He was bluffing. He knew Vesans would tell Marston the truth if he spoke. But it served his turn. "'You would na she pleaded. He laughed. "'All right, then,' she said. "'If you wanna tell un, will he stay for the dancing?' "'No. I mean go along of him.' "'You know better.' He turned away sharply as Edward came up. He knew him for the ministry he'd met near the callow. Edward was tying up some daffodils for Hazel and did not see Reddin. Scarlet Braces, a fatalist no more, came trotting up. "'What went wrong?' he asked, with a thinly-veiled triumph. "'Everything,' snapped Reddin, and calling Vesans, he went off to the beer-tent to wait until the dancing began. "'These are for your room, Hazel,' Edward was saying, "'because the time of the singing of birds is come.' He was thinking that God was indeed leading him forth by the waters of comfort. Hazel said nothing. She was wondering what excuse she could make for staying. Don't frown, little one. There are no more worries for you now. Binna there? No. You are coming to God's little mountain. What harm can come there? Now look up and smile, Hazel. She met his grey eyes, very tender and thoughtful. What she saw, however, were blue eyes, hard and not at all thoughtful. End of chapter 13 Recording by Rachel Linton, Bristol, UK